So welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Aaron Keshwala. It's my first time here today. It's a pleasure. And we are joined by a regular Ross Bennett. Aaron, how are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good, thank you. Welcome. Uh, congrats on the debut. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Good stuff. Well, the members know you from a lot of content you've sent online, so you're, uh, you're a familiar face or familiar, um, I guess, face through message on, on the WhatsApp groups there, but maybe outside they don't know you. But yeah, it's a pleasure to chat to you today, yes, mate. So, thank you very yeah, much. Thank you for to see me as well. Hundred <laughs> percent. So today we'll be um, discussing um, in-season resistance training to multi-sport athletes. And yeah, um, it's an exciting podcast to all you like, amateur coaches who are looking to gain some insight from Ross about this, basically. Yeah, it should be a good chat, Aaron. Um, obviously, we spoke a lot about different topics amongst sports science space and coaching space and just specifically focus on the resistance side and the importance of strength training, then it should be a good chat. Yeah, perfect. So um, can we, we can start by maybe addressing and questions on like what coaches may be looking at. So why is in-season resistance training crucial for like multi-sport athletes and maybe the benefits and science behind it? Yeah, I think it's a good start. Um, I think, first of all, there's a lot of like common misconceptions around like resistance training and like negative associations with like strength training amongst like lots of different coaches and some athletes actually, like historically working in football and, and obviously the GAA and different different athletes and teams. Like, I think the first thing is, is like strength training is, it has two prongs to it. So the reason why we do it essentially is to bulletproof someone, like the stronger someone is, um, the more control they have, essentially the more like muscle bulk they have at times, um, the, the more, um, I guess, the less likelihood it is that they, they're going to have an injury. Uh, soft tissue, if it's able to be stronger and, and dissipate different forces and be able to withstand certain movements of the game. But then the other side of it is the performance side as well. So obviously, if we want to look at increasing strength, power, uh, change of direction, even some associations with like uh, endurance capabilities and, and aerobic capacity, like building stronger muscles, not necessarily bigger muscles, but stronger muscles, is definitely going to enable us to produce more force. Um, as we get more towards the power stuff, have a higher rate of force development. And obviously then we have the plyometric side, which, which increases our stiffness abilities and explosiveness and the higher velocity side. So that's probably the reason why, why we do it. I, I guess in season, um, it's pretty to be able to like really develop like high level strength amongst high volume of games and on pitch training and especially in team sports where games are every week and recovery is massive into that as well um, but it is really important to keep pushing the needle forward because the pre-season in my world in soccer or football is only six weeks short where the development time to get really strong is limited uh, amongst trying to get them really fit and, and able to perform on the first day of the season and it's similar in the Gaelic as well maybe they have two two and a half months of club so that time alone is not going to be able to maximize the strength uh, and power qualities that we want within our within our athletes so it's important that we continually develop that but it's important we do that like with a good balance um and i always talk about minimal dose so giving them the minimal amount of dosage they can to, to adapt that's not going to have a massive impact on their pitch loading and, and game load going into the weekend so i'm sure we'll talk about a few factors around that but essentially that that's kind of in a nutshell what resistance training looks like to me 
of course, yeah, we'll touch on that later in terms of getting into designing a resistance training program and how that looked like in your eyes and a couple of different options around that. Um, on to like the importance of assessing players and potentially evaluating their strengths and weaknesses, both as a team and individuals. Like how could you basically shape a resistance program and where do you start off from? How do you find the best exercises to start off with during training? Yeah, very good question. And I think it comes down to um, like A, resources and, and what like testing equipment you have available. Um, like I'm very fortunate in my, in my day job to have like very good diagnostic tools in terms of force plates, um, nor boards, force frames and, and stuff like that, where you can really start looking at like peak force, rate of force development at very specific joint angles. Um, essentially though, like the majority of people working, especially with, you know, GA club scene, you're probably going to have some sort of jump mat, um, some sort of opto jump, uh, some sort of screening tool that you can look at in terms of movement competency. So the main movement that you would look at from a movement perspective before we even talk about like real load is can they can they squat, can they lunge, can they hinge, can they control single leg, um, have they got good eccentric like landing control, these sort of double leg, single leg, have they got good plyometric ability when they jump, all things that you can assess without like lots of equipment. Then if you have some jump like based equipment in terms of opto jump, you can assess like concentric based jump performance, eccentric based jump performance with a reactive strength index, the difference between a squat jump and counter movement jump, which gives us some indication of how they utilize that stretch shortness cycle, some discrepancies between left and right on a single leg jump. So already you've got some quite nice like programming diagnostics on what comes out, whether they need concentric peak force, whether they need more um power and explosive work whether they need like stretch shortness cycle work and stiffness and whether they need to reduce like symmetry between limbs so as long as you've got some sort of criteria even if it's worst case scenario a little bit subjective um around how they perform and i think that goes a long way as well if somebody is lacks explosivity on the pitch um is someone what i call a type one like athlete in terms of very aerobic but lacks power and speed then predominantly they're probably going to need to work on like basic fundamental strength and power and, and go through that like process. But obviously the more stuff you have available, the more details you can go into. And I think that's the key. You have your generic movements that you utilize to train those qualities, our extension patterns, our forward squats, our forward squats, our deadlifting patterns. You have your single leg type exercises. You've then got your bulletproofing type exercises around the structure. So um, hamstring conditioning, posterior chain, adductor and, and groin related stability and strengthening calf work and, and like plant reflection type um, condition and robustness. And you pick the tools available to what the player or the athlete can do competently. And then you would put them depending on what they need, whether it's strength, power, greater force development, stiffness, you then just apply different modalities around that. So I think as individuals, you can go, we, we have many different movements we can pick. And it's based on so many different factors to, to, to what you program with that player. No, perfect. That sounds really good. And um, so we've got a clear picture of our player needs now and some sorts of exercise selections, as you touched on there. Um, how would we then design a structured resistance program touching on periodization, goal setting and potentially progressions of each of these? Yeah, good question, Aaron. Um, number one, like I always ask the question, OK, we've got. We've got a clear like individual plan for this player. Um, they need to work on like general high force stuff. Their high force output is very low, uh, bilaterally, unilaterally. They need some asymmetry work. 
um, and then they need bulletproof general robustness around the structures. Like number one, what have they done previously? So if I give this player um, X uh, exercise and this amount of load, what's the response going to be acutely? Because what can happen sometimes is we say, we read the textbook and we say, okay, well, we want to get this player really strong. We know that three to five reps is optimal at X amount percentage of one rep max. And we go in quite hard on this on this player. Even if we gradually expose it, we go in probably like a little bit over what that player is, is used to. The overload's a little bit too much. Then we get a negative pushback on how sore the player is um, within three days post. And it pushes the cycle back. And it also limits our ability to progressively overload later on. So for me, I've said before, minimal dose. If a player has no um, like resistance training history at all, and we want to increase peak force, Yes, the textbook says three to five reps, but actually getting this player a very, very low weight for 20 reps for two sets is going to be a progressive overload to the force they produced before. So I'm not saying two sets of 20 is ideal, but I think it's about what has the player done, what have they tolerated, and let's make sure we have adequate progressions in terms of intensity of load um, and ad adequate progressions in terms of like the repetitions that we're going to manipulate to be able to get some, some structural overload. Um, then the exercise selection comes down to, you know, what's their movement competency like? Um, and, you know, can they squat effectively? Do we need them to squat deep? Um, if we're looking at like real peak force, can we just get them in quarter squat positions? We can challenge posterior chain with like hip extension and, and some posterior chain RDLs and, and hamstring condition. And then how do we challenge that on a single leg basis? And then are we challenging things in different planes? Are we replicating the sport? Um, are we looking at frontal planes? You know, and that's where the bulletproofing stuff comes around, um, like general hip conditioning, general posterior chain, general calf, um, gastrointestinal type work. Of course, yeah, that sounds really good. So there's a lot of different aspects to the training side of it, but training is only part of the equation. As you touched on, nutrition and recovery are equally as vital in this. So can we discuss a bit about like dietary strategies and recovery techniques that can support players like strength games and overall like well-being? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, like, I think number one is that most athletes and players, whether it's full-time, part-time and doing it on top of work, I would say are under-fueling, I think, as, as a general general rule. I think that the type of food that we're eating for general energy, and I'm really, really big, like, physiologically on, on, on energy substrate and how we utilize carbohydrate and how we function in general. So I think number one is making sure we're, we're having enough fuel to, to, you know, to utilize more energy inside the resistance room on top of the stuff they're doing on the pitch. Obviously, if we're looking at strength gains and, and especially if we're looking at hypertrophy in some individual cases, like the amount of protein intake is really important. Um, the timing of that protein, and we talk about the golden hour post like resistance training in particular and trying to maximize how much protein that, that player can take on average around 30, 35 grams um, on average. Um, but we're looking at like trying to get to two grams like a protein body, per body weight, kilogram body weight per day, really to maintain muscle bulk and recovery and, and ensure on top of our carbohydrate fueling strategy, um, as well as sufficient vitamins and minerals and hydration and, and stuff like that. So the basics go a long way, you know, make sure you're hydrated, make sure you're fueling enough, um, make sure your protein intake is really high. Um, supplements can come in handy then if we haven't got that sort of stuff like accessible straight away. Um, I'm quite big on food sources and making sure we have a variety of different 
like protein, carbohydrate, and we really get like a variety throughout the day. But essentially, you know, you have to get your your macros and your micros in on on a basic level. Of course, yeah, that seems really important. And um, so we've got all of the fundamentals, but how do we like implement this in? So how would you integrate the resistance training program into your weekly schedule and potentially how would you monitor the players progress effectively yeah i think that with with my day job it's a lot easier we have a, a, a fairly set schedule we have a bit more time to play with um ideally with your heavier strength type program you would like in in, in a full-time job you'd have like a day off the next day or potentially a day off the next day some some clubs do four-day leadings into games, which wouldn't be the case. Um, or it would be definitely a lighter session on the pitch the next day to, to allow recovery. Um, I think the most cardinal sin that you can't do, in my opinion, is like really overload like strength, like especially lower limb. It's talking about lower limb strength, like qualities on one day and then expect a real high extensive session where we want high speed on the pitch. I think that's an injury like waiting to happen. So normally your higher load days on the pitch are coupled with a, with a strength session to allow the next day for recovery, whether that's on pitch technical work, no problem, um, depending on what your players are used to. I think if you take that model into the GA world um, and their part-time like model of, like I put something out there in terms of periodization to the, to the WhatsApp group and like from a pitch perspective, if we, if we take like, maximizing the week from a pitch perspective and we've got two training days, um, and, and a match day, like trying to get your hardest training day on a plus three, I think it's really important. So ensuring that they fully recovered from the game means that you can really push your players on a plus three. That means then you might be able to, on a minus three, the next day, put in a gym session separate to the pitch. So you do your half pitch session on a plus three, uh, your minus three, then you get your, 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 your gym session, your main gym session and your, your real lower limb and, and upper body strength. Then on a minus two, the team train again, but it becomes a lot lower. You're not chasing anything physical. We're looking at tactical prep and, and preparation for the game at the weekend. So you get your, your minus four high-low pitch, your minus three big lower limb strength, strength work, and then your minus two. And if you wanted to like split the gym work over those two days, so post-training on a minus two, they might do some capacity-type work and endurance-type work post-pitch. And then the minus three is just, generally like a, a 30 45 minute strength session so you're getting like a little bit of a dose across those two days and then on your plus one and your plus two where the players are like away from the club like no harm in them doing their upper body strength work and their trunk work um that's a good opportunity whilst they're still recovering from the game to be able to like maximize opportunity for upper body and then as it shifts closer you get your lower limb your power work and things like that um within that training block that's how i would run it from a from the part-time model um I'm not sure if you've got any any further ideas on that. No, it sounds good then because you have to change it to what um coaches can do and their availability facilities, etc. Um, yeah, it sounds really good. And in terms of like every coach potentially having their obstacles and potentially making mistakes, so you said touched on if you do a power training in the gym, do you do a speed session on the pitch because that will have heavily impact an athlete's like well-being, basically. So um if there's any mistakes that coaches commonly make, what are they and how can we overcome them? Uh, it's, it's a good question. And I'll probably go back to myself and, and what mistakes I've made like in the past. Um, 
I think it's a, it has to be like around the group and the capabilities of the group and and the I guess the individual player um, how they tolerate certain like loading. So if they have got really high history um, of gym work, um, very like good chronic load of pitch and gym type work, then don't be scared of of really pushing these players. Like you can you can really get after some 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 really good like structural integrity and and increase in physical performance. But on the flip side, if you've got somebody who may be a, a youth type player coming into the system or somebody that's never really valued resistance type training, like don't be scared of giving them just a little bit. Like a little bit of something consistently is a lot better than nothing. Um, and a little bit of appropriate load consistently is a lot better than like a really high load aggressive spike of, of, of load in, in anything. So I think just assess the player, assess um, the group of what they need. Like really drill down movement like for me like mobility is huge uh, make sure players can move well um, we're going to get stiffness and tightness around certain structures because that's the nature of the sport and sometimes the sport like requires them to work through short ranges um, which is fine but then our job is to make sure that we can challenge that a little bit increase range if we can make sure movement patterning, patterning is really good um, and then start to load appropriately um, and, and I think just you know, common mistakes is like generic programs are really good to a certain degree, but once you get through basic movements, like start looking into individual detail, even if it's only 20% of your program is like from an individual like basis. And it could be that injury history governs like someone's program. So if someone's got a real um, history of hamstring um, issues and reoccurrences and there's weakness there, or there's like real bad, like long and weak muscles, then really address that appropriately and have a little bit of focus around what they need and, and where they start depends on maybe like how their hips and, and like how their body is amphibiometrically. So there's so many factors that come into head. So get, get your basics, get people moving well, but individualize things like really well and just get your sequencing right throughout the week because like that can have a massive impact on how players perceive the, the gym work um, and how they feel going into key moments of their sport. And it's important we don't negatively impact the key moments in the sport because you just won't get the buy-in. Yeah, that's really good. And um, touching on that last point as well, I think it's very important to take um, remember that each athlete is different. So if an athlete isn't progressing at the same level as someone else in, let's say, a bilateral movement like a squat, there's different there's different reasons for that. So in terms of multi-directional movements, it could be to do with their hips in terms of the outward external rotation. So different athletes have different requirements if we tailor it to individuals and make sure they're not too focused on just trying to get a certain gym exercise movement progressed and progress it individually then individuals will basically progress uh, optimally yeah and i think something that i didn't touch on that i was meant to was around like progression like testing progression and it's really important that we do check for like increasing capacity or, or or structural integrity or whatever we're looking at. If we want to get someone stronger, how do we know if they're getting stronger? We can go by increased weight on the bar, no problem. We can go by peak force tests on a force plate at a certain like given range that we want to test. We can probably go through some force plate measures on on a, on a jump test. We could probably use jump height as a general rule of athleticism um, if that's all we got availability to or weight increase is fine. Like we just have to make sure that we're consistently checking our program. And, and, and when you're doing it within team sports, it's hard because like you, you might have one 
sports scientists who could be like new and working with a club like uh, team, um, very fresh out of university, and you've got 25 players, maybe 30 players on a panel that you're trying to get, but try to have some justification of how you progress and then try to have some like progression type criteria. So when I get you to this stage, whatever that may look like, we're going to progress the program to this, or uh, we're going to switch the quality from peak force to rate of force development or power, uh, strength to more explosive type work. So just constantly check your program, update the program and make sure you're progressing the player as best you can. Of course. Yeah, that seems really good. And I think we basically touched up on all the points that we need to design a good resistance in train um, in season program. So if you don't have anything else to say, I feel like that's a wrap for today. Yeah, yeah, all good, Aaron. Nice, um, nice podcast. Good debut for your host. So hopefully, yeah, the listen, li- hopefully, the listeners can give you some good feedback. Um, and and of course, if anyone like who's listening, who's a member or who's not a member, you know, get in touch with us at um, dailysportscience.com uh, and give us um, yeah, give us a shout, ask us questions, and and any feedback on the podcast would be would be brilliant. Yeah, perfect. Sounds good. Top oh, man. Thanks, Aaron. Cheers, guys. See you guys.